Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. You all all right? Yeah, good. It's nice and hot again. <laughs> Sorry. Just doing the small talk at the start that you do. I'm not starting with a song today, sadly. Sorry about that. Um, but today I want to share some things that are still like a little bit fresh to me, and therefore I haven't necessarily grasped the full picture on it. Um, it's been in my thoughts and studies, and so to try and craft something else for the purpose of speaking here, I think would be a bit of a disservice to the process that I'm on. Uh, and so I think the quest is a process, uh, and the quest I'm on now uh, is for, I think, wonder, joy, and a joy that overcomes, um, and working out who and what God is. Uh, and in speaking here, I'm, I'm sort of inviting you to join me on that quest so we can kind of figure it out together in the process. So I'm going to start with my um, usual, hang on, is that working there? Uh, my usual disclaimer, which is written by a guy called Anthony DeMello. He says, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying. That wouldn't be listening. It really doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree with what I'm saying or not. Agreement and disagreement uh, have to do with words and concepts and theories. Uh, they don't have anything to do with truth. And truth is never expressed in words. Uh, truth is cited suddenly as a result of a certain attitude. Um, so you could be disagreeing with me and still actually cite the truth. Um, but there, there has to be an attitude of openness and of or willingness and of willingness, sorry, <laughs> to discover uh, something new. Um, that's the important part, not agreeing or disagreeing with me. So let's try and get into it a bit. Um, I've drawn upon many different sources for this this week. So I'm going to present a bit of a, a mashup of different ideas and attempt to try and bring them together in a coherent way. But it's been quite a struggle to kind of do that. So bear with me. I'll try and get it <laughs> as uh, concise as possible. Right. So coming up, we'll talk about... I've got some background music. Programming. The subconscious and the conscious. Manifestation, God as imagination, Jesus in me, and some homework, the ladder experiment. But first, last time I spoke, uh, I was talking about doors to wonder and how we can suddenly find ourselves having a life-changing, transcendent experience uh, in new and surprising ways that doesn't fit. with our beliefs. Uh, I talked about the childlike wonder required to look at the world and use the story of the children in Narnia uh, and how the professor had told them that the same door to Narnia won't always work for them 
and you probably won't find it again by trying. Uh, and just keep your eyes open, be aware. Uh, I think we outgrow our experiences, and we, uh, I outgrew my limited perception of God at a certain time. And I talked briefly about how a crisis in my life um, meant that the God I'd believed in was too small and limited, basically. It just didn't work for me anymore. Um, but then, by mistake, when I spoke last time, I actually left it at that point in the story. Um, and so I, I ended up playing a song which is about uh, suddenly being left to live with loss. Uh, and for me, that was about like the death of God. Um, but that's not actually where the story ended. So I missed out this section. I thought I'd just bring it now as a way of <laughs> just tying it around. It can kind of flow into what I'm doing this morning. So uh, there I was in my own personal darkness. I was feeling uh, a bit hopeless. Um, but one morning, I realized something. And that was that the sun kept rising. I don't know why that's on there. The sun kept rising every day. There it was again. Uh, I genuinely hadn't realized that like creation and the world was still happening around me in that crisis. Um, each day the sun came up, I felt a healing once I'd kind of noticed it. Uh, I'm sorry if this sounds all like a bit twee and wishy-washy. I can't help it, but it's just it was a new experience and it did something to me at the time. Uh, and it gave me a new sense of wonder and joy. It was the rising, it was the sun rising again, the resurrection as I'd never experienced it before, actually. Uh, and that was all I needed at that time. Uh, the light of the world rises again. I'm very aware that this is much more of a like symbolic look at the resurrection, um, but it's where I arrived at the time. Uh, and there's a really great message on this from last year, actually, which you can see up there. It's called Easter Sunday. What's your story? Screen's not on. Screen's not on. I'll try again. Um, it's just my usual grid of stuff that's up there, but this will be available after, so you'll be able to um, you'll be able to find it. Sorry about that. So it's it's that one, um, which just helps like frame that whole idea of the sun and the S O N and S S U N. It's very interesting stuff. Um, so. I, I sort of ended by saying, you know, I keep finding new doors to more expansive views of God and the world. Uh, and you won't necessarily get back in through the wardrobe. I think that we outgrow our experiences. So then, in the midst of another similar crisis I went through a few years ago, uh, I discovered new ways of experiencing the divine. I started following a guy called Wim Hof, who some of you may be aware of. He's had a TV program and a, a few like high-profile things have happened in the media with him. But... He basically teaches um, breathing techniques and cold therapy. Now, I've been exclusively taking cold showers ever since. I think I've been doing it for about three years now. In my back garden, sometimes in the snow when it snows. Actually, do you want to see a picture? There he is. There's the ice man, and there's the other ice man having a shower in the snow there. What are you doing to yourself, man? Just That's just the proof. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not suggesting for one second um, that this would work for you, but something happened to me in that experience. Um, I'm not suggesting that that doll will work for you, or even actually that it still works for me. Uh, I know it did at the time, but honestly, I've become familiar with it, and I can guarantee that it makes you realize that you are alive, and it brings you right into the present moment where the I am truly is, in the sense of I am absolutely freezing. <laughs> I am here and now. It certainly brings you there, and it gets the blood pumping, and it gives your body an outlet for all that stress. 
Um, and so he also has some breathing techniques that I found beneficial, in the sense that breathing can put you into that state of I am. Um, where you sense that there's more to the here and the now. Uh, I won't go too much into the science of it, but it's actually all been proven that the mind can alter your physiology uh, with these particular methods, which is what interested me in it. And I think I probably experienced that a bit myself through doing these practices. Um, I was in a very stressed point again, a crisis, and I just found that it really helped sort of even, <laughs> even things out and keep me grounded um, and calm and at peace. So that's, that's kind of where the last one was supposed to end. It didn't end there. Um, but that leads us into what I've got this week. And um, the, first, the, per, the first point is about programming. So which I think, we've, I think Beth probably touched on that a little bit earlier with talking to the, um, the lady struggling with alcoholism. Uh, a lot of things of her programming was evidently coming up as, as the reason for her struggle. Um, but anyway, I think it also fits with what Joel was speaking about last week with learned helplessness uh, and that sort of cruel experiment that we keep replaying where the dogs are programmed to believe that they were helpless, even in a scenario where eventually they actually weren't helpless uh, and how that translates to us in our lives. Uh, and a few things really uh, sort of correlated with the things that are on my wavelength and what I'm reading and studying. Um, and one was that our physical health is linked to our psyche, which is what Joel said last week. Um, so could it be that our thought processes end up influencing the reality that we live in? Well, I came across this controversial person in the medical field called Dr. Bruce Lipton. You may have heard of him. You may not have done. You have. You heard of him, Chris. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, so his, his whole body of work is around how your mind can affect your biology. He's studied it. Um, but as a result, he's been absolutely shunned by the scientific mainstream. And even his Wikipedia page, which is supposed to just tell you some facts about him, is absolutely scathing. I've never seen anything like it. Someone wrote it who didn't like him. But anyway, um, he's got his people who disagree with him. But I always think about the placebo effect and how interesting that is. So the idea is that sometimes a doctor will prescribe a pill which has nothing in it, and the patient doesn't know it's got nothing in it. They're told it will help them, and somehow, miraculously, the person's ailments clear up. So if that isn't enough to say that there might be something to the idea that our mind can affect our health, I, I don't know what is. It's also worth pointing out that um, apparently between 70 and 90% of doctor visits are due to stress-related ailments and complaints. I mean, 90% is quite a lot, isn't it? So that just proves, again, that the mind is sort of affecting how we, how we are. And I don't know, like when you get anxious and stuff, doesn't have to do stuff to your guts. And this guy, Bruce Lipton, he's also got a lot to say about how consciousness can affect your genes. So I've got a clip of him talking here, and I'll just play that for a minute just to give my voice a rest. Um, where is it? It's this one. And by the way, if you um, want to look at these slides again, that how to reprogram your mind is probably a a slightly better video, the one that's got a little drawing on it, uh, this one, um, because it kind of, it's a 15 minute video that just encompasses a lot of what he's talking about, which is a, a, probably a better summary than what I'm doing right now. But let's just switch to uh, 14 minutes and 31 seconds. I'm slightly worried that it's saying that there's gonna be adverts. Genes turn on and off and genes control the it's not allowing me to do it. Hang on, just bear with me, sorry. Technology problems, what are the chances? 
I know. Living in a stressed state relates. Right, so it's not despair. It's just conscious and non-conscious. In a few mind. seconds. That is perhaps one of the most important questions right. in this world right now, for a very simple reason. This bit. Uh, we we believe so many issues and diseases are associated with genes, and then and I say, what, when I was teaching in a medical school, what was I teaching doctors? Well, uh, at that time, oh, genes turn on and off, and genes control the character. And then I say, well, as far as you know, you didn't pick the genes, and if you don't like your characters, you can't change the genes. And since they activate themselves, then you become a victim of your heredity. Oh my God, there's cancer running in my family. I have a cancer gene. And, and I go, okay, let's get to a real simple fact. Less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. Less than 1%. 90% plus is all stress-related, okay? So all of a sudden I say, well, you want to try to adjust the genes. I said, the genes didn't have a problem. It was the stress that was causing the problem. Uh, and now with the new science, it's called epigenetics. Uh, it sounds like genetics, but epi means above. So what we call skin epidermis, because just below the surface skin is a layer called the dermis. Epidermis means above the dermis, that's the skin. So I say epigenetics means control epi, above the genes. And now there's a whole new understanding because we're not victims of the genes. We understand now that we actually control our genetic activity through our consciousness uh, uh, or subconscious, more importantly, because that's 95% of the time. A big important point. This is like maybe a lot of people in the audience are going to freak when I say this. But for example, there's no gene that causes cancer. Everyone says, oh, oncogenes, cancer genes. I go, no, there's no gene that causes cancer. They're correlated with cancer, but they're not the cause. So especially like women are very concerned because they get, oh, I've got diagnosed, I have the BRCA breast cancer gene. Immediately, what's the consciousness of the programming that people have? The gene is going to give me cancer. And now the fear of cancer rises in them because they say they have this gene. And then I go, well, guess what? 50% of the women carry this gene, never get the cancer. So the first thing you have to understand is this, possession of the gene doesn't cause the cancer. It's a life that's not in harmony, a life that's out of balance. That's when that gene is activated. So we've been blaming genes, but we're never giving uh, any credit or power to the person who can influence those genes. And this is what epigenetics is all about. Consciousness is controlling your genetic activity. It reminds me of... Right, so that was just a little snippet of him talking about it. I don't, I'm sorry that the audio was maybe a little bit unclear and I, there was no way I had time to transcribe it into subtitles for you. But he, there were a few interesting things in there about um, basically like if we're programmed to believe um, that we're a victim of our hereditary genes, like my thought is what else have we been programmed to believe? I think programming is quite a, a big problem for us. Like it, this is ingrained. Our programming dictates... Uh, dictates our life, uh, especially when we're just in autopilot. All the, programming is it, it, all the programming is installed on the hard drive called our subconscious, which is how he puts it. He basically says all your programming is kind of downloaded onto a hard drive in your brain, and that is what your subconscious is. So it records everything we give our attention to. So he says that 95% of the time, our lives have been run by our subconscious. Um, and a great deal of our programming, which control, which is what the subconscious is, comes from the first seven years of your life. So if as a child we're told you're not good enough, you're too loud, you never tidy up after yourself, you're not clever, 
you're disobedient, etc., etc. These are just things that I tell my kids all the time. <laughs> uh, the chances are we'll grow up believing and actually manifesting that. And an interesting thing happens with actors too. He touches on it. Um, I didn't want to go into too many examples, but you know. They have to become their characters, and many of them end up needing sort of professional help because they, become to, they, they begin to manifest sort of these tragic lives that they've had to live out. It's really fascinating, and it's not always um, tragic. Like, for example, there's the Bridget Jones diary film where Renée Zellweger, you know, she became the character. She gained 30 pounds. I don't know how much that is in stone or whatever. <laughs> hey? Two stone. Two stone. I see. Uh, and then, you know, she's not the character anymore. She loses the weight, and then she goes back to being herself. So it's just true. Like, it, it, Well, it rings true that this, these kind of manifestations certainly have an effect on you. Um, so I happen to think quite a lot of the programming that we're exposed to nowadays is around victimhood, uh, that we're powerless to our surroundings. And you can also look at a lot, a lot of uh, religious beliefs about inheriting the sinful nature that we've covered a lot here before. You know, just for being born, you're basically um, cursed. <laughs> and we've talked plenty about that. I won't go any more into it. But we can end up believing that we're powerless to our environment rather than creators of our environment. So when we, when we become present and aware in the moment, we tap into the creative force of I am. Uh, and we're part of the I am. I'm talking about God now, by the way. Um, or <laughs> are we part of the am, the I am, or are we part of the I am not? I can't, I won't, I never, I didn't, I shouldn't, I couldn't. Don't know. This, these are the things that we often tell ourselves. Uh, if we believe we're a victim, do we end up manifesting that as a reality? I don't think it's a massive stretch to say yes. So how can we change our programming? Well, it's down to that 5% left over. If you remember, I said 95% of the brain is controlled by the subconscious. It's that 5% creative consciousness is there to rewrite the programming, basically. So if you think about driving a car, when you first start learning to drive, you think, how am I going to do all these controls at the same time? You know, How do I do the steering wheel and the pedals? And I've got two feet, but three pedals. I've got a handbrake. I've got a gear stick. All those things, you're like, I'm never going to be able to <laughs> figure that out. Um, but after a while, after you've been through your programming on how to do it, eventually you don't even think about it. You know, you can go a whole journey, get completely lost in your thoughts, and end up at your destination thinking, well, how did I get here? That happens to me all the time. You know, your, sub your subconscious got you there. Your conscious mind was elsewhere. But at one point, your conscious mind had to keep check of everything you were doing inside the car. Uh, so through repetition and habitual learning, eventually your subconscious drives the car while your conscious mind can start planning your fish fingers for dinner. Now, with regard to like changing your programming, so one technique Bruce Lipton talks about um, for changing your programming is through imagination. He says, the pictures we hold in our mind define our reality. Whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates into complementary chemistry, is how he puts it. So, for example, if you hold a picture of love, your brain will uh, release wonderful things into the blood, such as uh, dopamine and oxytocin, which helps us bond with others. And then on the negative side of that, think about what happens when, you, when you're anxious or scared. Your chemistry changes again. Your guts go funny, we tremble, the blood pressure goes up. And he said the most, the most effective time to reprogram yourself with these thoughts 
thoughts of love, these more positive things that you can tell yourself, is just before you fall asleep, which is incidentally the same state your brain is in until around age seven. Like you go into a theta state, sorry, I've missed that out. You end up in a, a state of theta well, just before you go to sleep, that's what it's called. Um, and that's the same state that your brain is in until the age of seven, which is why um, children are like sponges, because their brain's in programming mode all the time. As an adult, we only go into that mode at specific times. So just before you go to sleep generally is the natural time, and as, also just as you're waking up. Um, but another way to get your mind into that state is through meditation. A dirty word from my programming. I was told that if you empty your head of thoughts, then you'll let the demons in. I was talking to Kelly about this the other night, actually, and she said, well, what about God? Isn't God meant to be more powerful than the devil? Why couldn't God possess you while you're meditating? I thought, good point. I wish I could have thought of that when I was growing up. But uh, another side point is that meditation actually isn't about emptying your head uh, at all. It's actually about sort of transcending your thoughts and observing them until you kind of say, "Now, nah, you know what, I'll just try and bypass them for a while and experience the joy of the here and the now. Um, where we become most aware of the I am. So we close our eyes and imagine the reality we want to see manifest. Hang on a moment. Isn't this what we just used to call prayer? Hmm. I've got a funny relationship with the idea of prayer, and especially when it's about asking God for stuff. Like, I think we probably all know someone who's prayed for a car parking space, for example right in front of the shop in the best place, and you know what? God provided it, and hallelujah. And my response is always, well, you know, that was good of him, but now can we get him on with sorting out all those starving children and the cancer ward, and, you know, instead of your parking spaces? But I was brought up with a belief that God was actually concerned about the little things uh, in life, and I'm not sure what to make of it all now, because I've had a few experiences lately where I could probably say that that might be true again. Um, so, you know, would the parking space have been there anyway if there was no prayer as well? These are the questions that come up. Like, did you not pray hard enough that time that you didn't get a parking space? Too many questions, and God often doesn't come out great at the end of the questions. <laughs> so recently, I'd inadvertently done uh, some of this myself, as I said, like very trivial, small, everyday things. Like, for example, there was, some, there was a job that needed doing in the house, which still isn't done. Sorry, Carl. Um, where I needed a hammer, and everywhere I looked in the house, I was like, that, that hammer is not there. I just couldn't find it anywhere, and I looked everywhere, high and low, every, every cupboard, every drawer, knowing where it usually is. It wasn't there. It wasn't in the shed. It wasn't in the playhouse. It wasn't anywhere where the kids had access to it. Uh, checked everywhere. And I thought, right, well, I'll try some of these like manifestation techniques that I've heard about. Let's just see. Like, it's essentially like prayer. So I sat on my bed, closed my eyes, pictured the hammer in my hand. Right, okay, I've got it. And then the idea is, you know, you picture this, imagine it as thoroughly as you can, as, make it as real as possible. Imagine how you feel that you've got the hammer in your hand. And then I completely forgot about it. I, like, it left my consciousness for a while. And then a couple of days later, I went to get some ice creams out of the freezer, and I'd already checked the freezer. The hammer was not in the freezer. But when we had our uh, when we had our uh, boiler like no, no our, our gas mains sort of sorted out a few years ago a guy cut a hole in the wall which is right next to where our freezer is so i bend down to open the drawer of the freezer and i look to my left and the hammer is sticking out of this hole in the wall 
And I thought, oh, there it is. <laughs> now, I don't know what to make of things like that. Like, maybe the hammer was always there, and I just, I did look in there. I did definitely look in there. Uh, and that thing, and I think, well, what's that about? I mean, there's another thing as well. Like, the same, a similar thing happened with a ball pump. <laughs> like, the kids' balls had all gone flat, and I needed to pump them up. I couldn't find it anywhere. Ended up manifesting the ball pump from thin air, having, having done a similar kind of thing. Um, I also manifested a Snickers one day. I'm not kidding, right? I was sort of sitting there, and I knew we didn't have any chocolate in the house, and I got a bit of a sweet tooth. I was like, do you know what? Let's try this again. Let's see what happens. I'm putting it to the test all the time. Close my eyes, thinking, right, I'd really like a Snickers. Forgot about it completely. I'd also raided the cupboards again, made sure there was definitely nothing in there. There wasn't anything. That's why I ended up getting to the point where I had to pray for a Snickers. I go down later in the day, I've been working upstairs, I come back downstairs and I'm having my cup of tea and I think, well, I'll just check the cupboard again. I open the cupboard door and what is there? A Snickers. A Snickers chocolate bar is sitting in the drawer and I'm going, what's happened? <laughs> what's happened there? So I, I rang Kelly, I texted her and I was like, have you put a Snickers in the cupboard? She went, yeah, yeah, I was just unpacking my stuff from, from the festival. I had a Snickers left over. And I thought, what? There's a lot of coincidences, and fair enough, it might be a coincidence, and I don't want to read too much into these random weird things, but I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> but all I know is that there's something weird that can go on when you start to really manifest things with your mind. So manifestation is a word that's kind of everywhere these days. Uh, I've used it many times this morning already. Uh, it's bang on trend with social media, full of success stories, methods, theories, manifest your dream in a week. Manifest $10,000 right now. You know, it's all this kind of clickbaity stuff, which ends up being very fluffy, new agey, self-helpy, which I, I'm not dissing, but, you know, sometimes I find it a bit tiresome, tiresome and uh, I don't know, it sort of puts me off, I find it off-putting. Um, but, you know, like, for example, what happens if everyone in the world wins the lottery and is rich? And then how will we know who's rich and who's poor anymore? Like, but is there something to it? I know in the past that in this place we've done such things as, like, writing lists of things that we'd like to come to pass. You know, occasionally you might give God a bit of extra cash to sweeten the deal. Uh, and then amazingly, you find this list a few years later and you realize that everything has come to pass. I've got an example of a list that I wrote when I was a child because it was very much more a thing when I was a child. And here it is. Uh, I, still, I kept it all these years. Um, I don't know how old I was, but apparently I wanted a seven-seater. I wanted new kitchen, tidy rooms, downstairs toilet, more space, stop being purely all the time our family, amen. Which is a nice sentiment. Now, you can see that I've ticked off the list as the things that have been, uh, that have actually happened. So we got a seven-seater car. We must have got a new kitchen at some point. Tidy rooms. It's got full stop. Uh, that obviously didn't happen. And I think that's, I'm still waiting for that one to happen. Um, so I've got a list of six things there. I think like f five out of six isn't bad, is it? So that was like kind of, programming me, I suppose, at a young age to realize that maybe there is something to this kind of stuff. By the way, I did have a clip of uh, Seinfeld where the guy's just loving the fact that he's found a good parking spot, but I've missed playing that now, but we'll skip it because I'm running out of time. So I also recently came across a book called It Works. It was written about 100 years ago. 
which is all about writing lists like these. Uh, and people who endorse that book also talk about a guy called Neville Goddard. Has anyone heard of him? Yeah. <laughs> Star student on the front row. <laughs> so he's another controversial figure, and you might have heard of him. His teachings and interpretations of the Bible uh, are quite unique and can be seen as quite unconventional with traditional, uh, in traditional uh, religious circles, definitely. Uh, he places a lot of emphasis on the power of our imagination and consciousness, which is what sets him apart from mainstream Christian theology. So he teaches us that the eternal body of man is the imagination, and that is God himself. Uh, the one we speak of in Scripture as Jesus Christ. So this lines up with other theories of God that I've talked about before, where uh, perhaps God is uh, consciousness, and we're all individual segments of that larger consciousness. But back to Neville, um, and if you just turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3, Thir 13.5. Oh, you used to hear papers doing like that back in the day. I'll put it up for you, don't worry. No, I won't because I haven't got it. I'll just read it out. Uh, it says, examine yourselves to see... It's there at the bottom. Where? You can see it. Middle, bottom. Oh, thanks. <laughs> examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith test yourselves do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless of course you fail the test so saying that Jesus is God and God is our imagination your imagination um, and the verse talks about failing the test which is to not realize that Jesus is in you that's what he's saying the failing of the test is he says if you hear the words God and Jesus and think of something outside of yourself you've failed the test basically which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, another verse he'll say, for in him all things were created, Colossians 1.16. So he says that's our own human imagination. That is now proved in the world as from imagination. So what he's saying is, he's got a fascinating... Uh, oh, no, sorry. I'm going to skip on now. <laughs> he's got um, some fascinating symbolic interpretation about the resurrection as well. This is a side note, sorry. I'm getting a bit lost. Like I was, I was up late again with this. I do apologize. I'm trying to navigate through it. Um, so it's got a symbolic interpretation about the resurrection, about, its, about how it's all about the death of our old way of thinking. It's symbolized by the fact that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, which translates to the place of the skull. So it's saying like these ideas in your head need to die so that the new thing can come in. Uh, we haven't got time to go into that at the moment, but maybe we could look at that another time. But back to uh, God's imagination and creation and all that. Uh, just, he says, when you, Neville Goddard says, when you discover this, you're finding the creative power of imagination. He'll say things like, everything in your life has come from your imagination. Everything you can see in this room now was imagined at some point. You know, we create the reality that we live in, essentially. Uh, if there's something to this, it's probably worth paying attention to. And interestingly, he also came to the conclusion that the best time to use your imagination to manifest is as you're falling asleep. So he, you know, like a hundred years ago, he was thinking these same things that scientists have since come to, to actually prove. In the sense that your brain gets into a state of theta where it's better for learning. And he's saying that, that when your brain's in that point, you can start to program it with things uh, that will actually be beneficial to you. So, uh, da -da. 
He says that you should imagine that you're living in the wish fulfilled. So everything as you want it to be, you've got to feel it. Do it over and over again each night. Uh, for example, if you're suffering with back pain, you could imagine a scenario where you're having a conversation with a friend and saying, remember when I used to have back pain? Or remember when I wouldn't go near a microphone in church and was afraid of speaking? You know, it's that kind of thing. And you actually have to kind of live as if you, you have kind of overcome those things in your imagination. Um, so I thought that was interesting again. And whatever you think of Neville Goddard's theology and ideas that I've just said, like he always invites you to put his theories to the test. Like he's very sure and almost a bit cocky about it actually. So can I invite you to do an experiment with me this week? You don't have to. Absolutely no pressure. Now, it does involve um, ladders, so I do apologize for anyone who maybe is not capable of climbing a ladder. It might happen. Um, so you don't have to engage with this if you don't want. There are other things. You could maybe just imagine the Snickers in your cupboard. But here's what you are supposed to do. And I'd be really interested to, for everyone to kind of experiment on this and just let me know what happens. So he says... Before going to sleep, lie down, close your eyes, and let's just do it through in our heads now. So he says, in your imagination, picture a ladder right in front of you. Take your imaginary, imaginary left hand, reach out, and take hold of the side of the ladder. Now, take the other side of the ladder with your imaginary right hand. Now, with the imaginary left foot, place it on the ladder's first rung. Now push yourself up and climb the ladder to the top. Feel each step you take in your imagination. Climb back down when you reach the top. Repeat this in your imagination, up and down the ladder until it feels real or until you fall asleep. Once you feel like your imagination is so real, that's kind of when you can stop doing the visualization, if you're doing it through the day, for example. Now, here's the interesting thing. While you're doing that uh, in the evening before you fall asleep, through the day, you need to write on a paper, I will not climb the ladder. Place this like inside your wallet, set it as your phone wallpaper, stick it on your mirror, somewhere that you're going to see it regularly, on your fridge, whatever. Uh, you say, I will not climb the ladder. Read it every time you see it. It says, you must do this and really mean it in your heart that you're definitely not going to climb the ladder. Apparently, that's important to the process. Repeat the climbing the ladder exercise in your imagination for three nights, he says, uh, right before you sleep every day. Sleep in a slightly different way to take longer for your sleep. What he means by that is like, be slightly uncomfortable uh, when, you, when you lay down so that you don't fall asleep before doing the, the visualization. So that's, that's basically it. And what I've read about this, like people will comment and say, I can't believe it. I just I wasn't thinking about it at all, and then suddenly I realised that I was on a ladder one day, just doing it. Like it's it's one of those things that I suppose it depends what your day-to-day -day life is like. Some of you might actually climb ladders quite regularly, um, so maybe it wouldn't be quite as much a, a surprise for you. Um, but for someone like me, it's quite quite a rare occurrence. So I thought it would be quite interesting. If um, if you're going to do that, let me know and. Next week, maybe, just let me, know, let me know what happens. I'll be intrigued. I'll let you know what happens with me. I know that we've tried it a few of us this week, and Jenny, you were on a ladder, right? Jenny ended up on a ladder. 
<laughs> it's just weird stuff. And I'm sorry, like I know that it's, it's quite hard to talk about these things. And I'd like to be at a place where we can work them out a little bit together and be able to talk about them more comfortably. And I appreciate I'm just like throwing random ideas out. Uh, but why have I brought it? Like, it might have been a bit jumbled, and ultimately, what I want for my own life is to be engaged in the here and the now, in the kingdom of heaven as it is, uh, living in the joy and the wonder of creation without all the programming that keeps us imprisoned. Like I previously described God as the creative energy that we're all a part of, and I want us to leave here today feeling empowered and inspired that we can live fully now in that eternal state of creation, and we can create the reality that we live in. So, I think that's probably as much as I can uh, bring this morning. We'll draw it to a close now. Thank you for listening. Uh, and once again, it's apologies for the slight jumbled nature of it, and I hope that you got something from it. Uh, I will say that uh, we're here again next week. Uh, Claire's going to be speaking, and the week after, we've got uh, Rob in the back. Rob's going to do a, a backhaul banger, as we call him. Um, so in the meantime, let's just take a couple of minutes now of silence I've written here. I, I wrote this when I was very tired. We'll take a few minutes of silence to draw to a close because there's been a lot said here. And then you can go for a cup of tea and a biscuit. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.